Welcome to a new episode of Cocoa Break. Um, it's about sharing economy, we, and I, I know that we covered that in, in, um, in our last episode, but today we would like to talk about specifically um, social responsibility of the sharing economy and how that plays out in real life and what impact on people's life. So, and and we, we're going to cover a bit um, about the COVID situations and how that's um, went so far. Um, as usual, I have Kevin and Robert with me in, in, in the podcast. Good morning, guys. Um, morning. And, 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 and I want to, why I'm bringing this back again to the table is that because I think we brought in a lot of very interesting points when we did the article, and I'd like to cover some of that in our podcast. Um, and let me start by this. is actually one of the key issues um, of the sharing economy is about disruptions that new players have created. That, that's the whole thing, that's the core of it. But also the speed of which the government and, 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 and traditional businesses have to adapt. They were lagging behind. And actually a lot, both players, they were thinking, oh, that's just a concept, it's just a new thing, we'll just wane away and die. It's exactly the same things when the internet came up. The shops and, 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 and bookstores, they thought the internet would never make the cut. It just, it's not conceivable. So they underestimate basically people's ability to adapt that fast. And I will share a story about people's adoption and how fast it is. So coming back to that um, regulation, namely labor law, wasn't really ready um, to face litigations. And traditional business wasn't really ready to um, face the challenge and adapt their business model. So those are the two areas that I could think of. Back to the digital transformation, um, digital adaption, actually. Um, Yesterday I was sitting playing with my kid, and he never held the phone. He he got the smart um, iPad or whatever, and he he could figure out like he he was watching but never figured out how it works like swiping or choosing the videos. So yesterday it was like before dinner time. He was playing with him and he picked up my phone and he was watching some documentary. He literally swiped up to see the the trail of the YouTube player down, and then he swapped and he he found his. Uh, if you know the duck song, like to little duck, uh, mother duck or something like this, and he just selected. And then he figured out that he cannot, serious, this is no jokes. He figured out he cannot, there's no music because I have it in my headset. He took the headset and he tried to put in his head. He didn't figure it out because it's so hard for him. It has some strength to it. It's like he couldn't fit it in. But he knows that the music is in the headset now. So this is, this is crazy. So now what you should do is give him an old phone and watch him try and uh, work He it. probably will throw it. He thinks that's not true. Think. He thinks this is like one of his toys that doesn't, it's not really a real phone. I remember uh, sometime last week, uh, last year, we were going through an old you know, box and we found some old you know, Nokias from you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And uh, yeah, the, and then we had switched it on, still worked. There were some photos and the kids are obviously trying to swipe. I had the same idea, was that you know, a three-year-old who's 
we try and keep away from our smartphones as much as possible. But it's just, yeah, sees a picture and starts swiping, trying to go to the next picture. And we're having to explain, no, that you do it this way, you have to press the button, you have to go. It's amazing how they pick up these things. Back to the sharing economy, but in, in back to the speed of digital adoption and the lag between the gov- governmental bodies and also biz- traditional businesses understanding the scale and the speed of the change. Do you have some thoughts about that to share? It's like how how because we lived through the change, right? Because we were ordering taxi, all of us, mm-hmm. like calling a taxi on a landline that's developed to a mobile phone. And then we went to an app. So how how you see that? How how you from an end user seeing that experience? I think for me it's uh, different ways to look on it. Is that the taxis are much more user friendly for me. I live in a uh, in that the country I was born in. I, I know a little bit of a port enough to live by. Using the phone is much more adaptable for me. Uh, ordering food similar. I'm not needing to phone up all of the time uh, to do this. But at the same time, I think how much uh, of my free time I spend was it on uh, Netflix, Spotify, and sometimes I'm, I feel, is this actually good for me? Sometimes it is because I'm learning uh, things, but at the same time, having all of this access on my mobile phone so close to me, I'm not sure whether it's always, for me as an end user, I see the point of it from a business point of view, but as an end user, I sometimes think, okay, do I spend too much time? But if you were the business hat, so how we can see that? Maybe Robert, you have some thoughts. If you, if you a business, if you are the head of a, a, a taxi company, and then you're sitting in chairs, like guys comes in, oh, we have an hour company is doing a taxi ordering. It's like, what the first thing you would do? I mean, I <clears throat> I can share the story that I had some time ago. It was actually the story that I had from Gary V. Uh, he mentioned like uh, several years ago that he went to his uh, his father friend actually are the taxi taxi driver in New York and he told them that there is a new uh, company called Uber that is going to revolutionize the um, the like a public transport within the big cities and what they say is that it is not possible it's not possible to order taxi through the phone where you don't need when you don't need to even call the uh, the agency to to order the taxi and basically what the what, what happened next is that all of them lost uh, jobs because Uber was so strong in, uh, in the big cities that people preferred to actually call Uber instead of calling taxi. And there was two reasons. Why? Because it was, uh, it was something that was easier to order because you just opened the, the, the phone and you could see how, you know, how many minutes the taxi is away from you. And the second part is it was cheaper. So this is the second part of the our sharing economy. That the service that that is providing or is provided is like very affordable. Okay, so much and okay. So now we talk about a bit of the traditional businesses. What and then we I, I, in my introductions talked about governments and legislations and all of that. And we've seen in few summers actually back, it's like Uber being banned from key cities like London, and banned even in um, in Krakow actually, where we live, the Uber cannot go to certain area in the city centers, they're banned, they cannot, so you have to walk, as a user, you have to walk a distance out to pick up a taxi. But why do you think the government is doing that? 
is it already a, um, a protections for the taxi companies and the jobs in there, or it's something behind it? I think it's not. Uh, the government is not adjusting to the current situation that we have, meaning it, it is happening and it will not stop. The sharing economy is, is real and there's a, a lot of people involved, not only from the end-user perspective, but also from the wor worker's perspective. And I have a statistic for US and there's like 57 million workers in included into the sharing economy uh, industry. And I think this is where we sometimes forget, though, was that the reason why there's been uh, some bans in London and other places has been because of the way that uh, the workers are treated and that they are contracts. You know, they're not actually employees of Uber. They but, don't have holidays. Yeah, exactly. They don't have that. So uh, I get uh, this is the fine line of how much a government understands the new technology and follows it. Uh, and also how much they are actually protecting users. Because yeah. uh, sometimes I would love to think that they were protecting users, but at the same time, the, the meaning the users, the, the employees, but at the same time, I have my doubts on that, but on some government. Yeah. Just a reaction, a movement, isn't it? It's like, it's like it's happening, and then when it grows and becomes scalable, become problems, oh, now we need to step in. And... Yeah, and I think they don't understand what the, what is going on. They've let it run really. too long. Yeah. They, they've let it run too long was the, uh, because it was new technology, new uh, thing for them, making lots of money, lots of people happy. And now it's reached the point where they struggle to go back and say, oh, you should have had these uh, contract laws changed 10 years ago. But what's the trigger, Kevin, in your mind? Why now? Why the government saying, no, I need to step in? I, th I know I think, in Britain they're losing legal cases. No, but I think the main reasons is taxes. Is they would have reacted, they see the, the, the taxes sources. Because they cluster them, right? It's like transportation taxes. These taxes come from transportation taxes coming from farming, tax coming, I don't know, from, from other kind of businesses. And then when you see that, that being squeezed, and it's like, oh, hell, what's going on? Oh, yeah, Uber, Lyft. Free now, you name it. I think that's I the main reason. I would love to think that's true, but I don't. You look at all the corporations that don't pay their uh, corporation tax. Look at uh, Amazon paying zero. But this is my tax. point. This is exactly my so point. I, I don't think it's this. I think most, unfortunately, most uh, government leaders accept that this is the way it is, that they won't be paying those tax. Uh, I think a lot of it, I know in Britain, has been because the employees have taken the uh, government and they've taken the companies to court. And by law, the government's been forced into a lot of these actions because when it goes to a judge and the judge says, yeah, these contracts are illegal according to the law, the government is forced then to take an action. But this is my point. So the government's reacting in two things. There's one is the, the tax part of it and then people's pressure. And this is what yeah. leads me actually to my second point is that you know, now the, the all the, the the key players we talked about Uber and, and there's many more of others in, in that domain as well. They they made their way to where they are today, but they could be so easy, easily a victim for their success if they don't pay attention. Because why? As much as they win this battle against traditional businesses and government government and traditional 
you know, regulation and all of that, they could be losing because if the end users start having taking an action in hands and thinking, oh, my uncle is a taxi driver or my neighbor's taxi driver, I lost their jobs because of those. And I know my friends who work in, in Uber and else, and he hasn't been paid, he has sick, and he, get, he hasn't got a, a health insurance. He ended by, you know, I don't know. But, but this is something that we as an end user don't look at it. Because at the, at the one hand, you have an end user who is using Uber, Uber, and then on the other hand, you have a corporation that is called Uber, but you don't know what is in between. You don't know what kind of contract they have. But do, do, do you? I mean, if you jump in a car, you know, you know an Uber is riding you and, and they start telling you stories how crappy his life is, you would still continue ordering Uber? It's a question. I'm just... It, 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 uh, it's a question, but then if you look at the statistic that uh, McKinsey prepared in 2020, 78% of people uh, included into the sharing economy um, sector in US is actually happy, and it includes Uber as well. Yeah, but I think it depends uh, culturally. Was that uh, in America? Was that they also know certain uh, fast foods are very unhealthy? Yet they still eat. That is a global thing. Yeah, people still eat. Was that so? We know things are sometimes bad. We know that uh, rainforest can be cut down for products. Doesn't stop the person buying them. Sometimes it just comes down to finance. Yeah. Uber is cheaper, and uh, Robert, you mentioned this at the beginning, was that it's cheaper, was that sometimes people just, they so might care, but at uh, the end of the day, was that they, they won't have more money in their pocket. So for, for me, there are two strategies. One is actually squeezing your empl employee as much as you, you can, just to get the profit. And the second one is to invest in the hard work now, sustainability, meaning both of them are tend to get the money at the end but the the second strategy is actually like long long perspective strategy where you are actually investing in your business you're investing in people and then in the long longer perspective you get probably the same profits okay so now we're talking only my challenge in here what i challenge both of you in it so we're looking at it as if the sharing economy let's pick up uber right now in a specific we're talking about them and their competitor, right, and then people. And we're talking only competitions from a traditional old way of doing businesses. And they, to me, they're not any more competitive to them. They're just working. It, they, even they don't call themselves a taxi company to avoid all of regulation. We are a technology company, right? Some, as much as social media, they don't talk about them. They don't, they don't call it like press businesses. They call it a social media business, right? Because just to avoid a lot of regulations in the fields. But coming back to end-user choice, I got that. People want to save money. They wouldn't care much about the product, whether being cutting the forest in Amazons or like firing, uh, making people lose their jobs or, do, or providing bad paid jobs and all of that. But we're forgetting there that's only valid if there's no alternative, right? And we've seen a crack of a movement. Some companies that came up is the same operating exactly the same business model but they are still a business a, a taxi company and they still have a taxi drivers as employees that's one too if i'm in between using uber which is operate mainly in, in metropolitan areas i could just ride the e-scooter right so how this plays out is mean this is what i meant that the the sharing economy players we're picking up an Uber a lot right now. Hopefully we don't offend anyone. But they they could be a victim of their success of two things. One, 
is that they have an speed adoptions or fast adoptions in their end users, but two, they're just forgetting that the barriers of entry is so low in their domain. Anyone can come, jump in, and they in two or three years, they become a competitor in the market. That's one of the reasons they probably expanded into Uber Eats and they expand into other areas. So they try and create this from a one business model and create it uh, further. So you have the easiness, one application, you can do multiple things. I, I know we're kind of picking on Uber, but there's uh, another one I, uh, I wanted to discuss very briefly, was also Spotify. Look at how much Spotify actually pay the artists. It's a tiny, tiny percentage of what they were used to be paid for radio play and for uh, you know vinyl CD plays, yeah, downloads. And this is uh, where you've got certain artists now boycotting. But anyway, the people still use a company like Spotify because of its handiness. They don't care whether Taylor Swift is getting X percentage, X amount of dollar per song. In the day, it was that it's for their easiness. And reach, probably. All right, so um, I want to recap on what we've been saying is about how, um, what could sharing economy business do? Is one, is the PR um, and lobbying probably um, as, as a traditional way are implemented and it's an area where traditional business seen a success in doing um, because they, they don't invest in that and we know that. Um, and then two is having a solid strategy that focuses on playing all possible scenarios. It's almost the balance between expanding and scaling quickly without compromising the importance of solidifying that progress. And the last one is about watching out for competitors. They operate in a low barriers to entry. They got to keep um, uh, investing massively in R&Ds to keep up on, on, on the pace of change, in, especially in technology domain. All right, guys, thank you a lot and see you around. Thank you. Thank you.